Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the show that tackles the subject of women and violence head on and shines the light on what women need to know and do to be safe. Here's your host, fourth degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Jolicoeur-Rude. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolicoeur-Rude. Today, I want to look at the lessons learned from the lockdown through the lens of the principles that I use when I teach self-defense. I want to start with the concepts that Tony Blower developed when he put together his spear system of self-defense. In that system, he has three simple components of self-defense. The first one is D1, which is to detect and avoid danger. D2 is to defuse and de-escalate a situation, and D3 is to defend if you have to. So if we look at D1, we can all say that we basically got ambushed and that very few of us were prepared for the COVID-19 situation. We were unprepared for what was going to happen in terms of how our national government, our state and local governments, and the businesses and the other entities that we work with decided to respond to the potential threat of the virus. And unfortunately, there were few, if any, warning signs that we could have paid attention to, noticed, and used to allow ourselves the ability to prepare a little bit before we got hit by the shock of the lockdown. Most of us did not have any useful mental blueprints or any preparation for the events that were about to unfold. Some people did. Those people are folks who maybe are pejoratively labeled preppers, but in reality are folks who, just as a matter of course, like to think about worst case scenarios and to take steps to at least have the resources available to hand so that if the worst comes to pass, they're actually prepared and not caught flat-footed. But for the most part, most members of our society really weren't in that mindset, nor were we prepared. None of us were expecting to have our jobs disappear or our businesses get shut down, our income stream to evaporate, or our kids to be at home instead of at school. We didn't anticipate living in isolation at home alone or being stuck with an abusive partner in the home. All of a sudden, we got catapulted into a world full of uncertainty, and that's a very uncomfortable place to be. So when it comes to detecting and avoiding the threat, we really had a very hard time doing that because we basically got ambushed. So once it started to dawn on us what was going on, that there was this virus that seemed to have pretty significant and potentially lethal effects, and that the response by our society was going to be to impose a lot of restrictions that would have a direct effect on our normal lives, we couldn't really avoid that. We had no control over many of the things that were going to affect us. For example, the restrictions that were being imposed and other people's behavior and the actual effect of the virus. We had no way to influence what was happening on a macro level. 
on a micro or personal level, we did have some ability to take action to reduce the impact of the things that were happening just in our own personal lives. We all are pretty adaptable beings. We were able to come up with some potential solutions for some of the problems that we were being presented with, some of the things that felt very scary and threatening. And some of them seem kind of funny in hindsight. I know people were really freaked out by the incredible hoarding of toilet paper that was happening. One of the thoughts that crossed my mind was, well, gosh, if I still lived in Sunnyvale, I wouldn't have any worries at all because I had an entire garden full of a plant called lamb's ears, and I could have just gone out whenever I needed something and picked one of those leaves off of one of those plants, and I would have been set. But up in Coyoteville, I actually don't have any of those plants. So I had to think about some other alternatives. And one of the things that I realized was that other things were available that could be substituted. So I ended up buying baby wipes. And now I probably have enough to diaper a baby for the next five years, not because I was hoarding it, but because I just made a practice of whenever I saw something available, I would get one. Other people came up with other creative ways to figure out what to do to mitigate some of the things that were happening, and to minimize the impact. In terms of the actual effect of the virus, some of the things that we've not been able to really manage for ourselves have been situations where the virus has affected one of our family members. And if they've been in the hospital, we've had no way to be there as they've gone through treatment. Sometimes there have been folks who have died and their families have not even been able to get to be with them when that happened, which is a heartbreaking situation. And there have been many, many women who've actually given birth to babies during this lockdown period. And that experience has been profoundly different from what we have come to experience as normal because they've pretty much been alone in a hospital having a baby with maybe the dad allowed in, but often not even that. So there wasn't a lot that we could do to de-escalate the situation because we weren't really interacting with an entity that we could negotiate with or communicate with. So all we've been able to do is to diffuse it a little bit by trying to come up with potential solutions to some of the effects that were headed our way. When we look at D3, which is to defend if you have to. And that's basically if you can't detect and avoid a situation and you can't do something to change the dynamics so that it doesn't blow up and go into a situation where you have to fight it. There are a whole bunch of different scenarios that we've really had to face. There is fighting the virus itself. There have been a lot of recommendations put out about what we could do to do that. And I'm sure you're totally aware of the narrative of hand washing and face mask wearing and social distancing. Those are all steps that we were told we could take in order to fight the virus. On a little bit deeper level, many healthcare practitioners and folks who really look at the human body and what the body can do have been advocating for relying on your natural health. So if you have been eating a good, healthy diet, you've been getting plenty of fresh air and exercise, and you have a healthy immune system, that actually is a great defense against the virus. That isn't so good if you happen to be somebody with a compromised immune system or some underlying health issues that have impacted your ability to actually fight this virus off. And we've seen the impact of that in many of the deaths. So we've been faced with 
dealing with the actual virus, number one. We have had to deal with the restrictions that have been imposed on us. As I said, we have been isolated at home. For many people, they've been isolated at home alone and dealing with emotions and mental health in that situation when we are used to being part of society has become quite a big issue for many people, even in my own family. I have family members who have really struggled with no longer being able to go to work, no longer being able to socialize with friends, and feeling very lonely, very isolated, and very depressed by being stuck at home with the only contact coming through a screen. For those who have been locked down in a home with their abuser, the potential problems and the threat of that are serious. And I actually did an episode, which is episode number 32, where I talked about both safety when you're locked down at home alone and what to do if you are locked down with your abuser. And that featured an interview with Ruth and Darlene of Silicon Valley SV. So if you haven't listened to that, I really encourage you to go back and listen to that now. But being locked down like that with an abuser has increased the potential for violence and death for those who are trapped like that. We have had to deal with the threat of the loss of our income, the loss of our normal services, for example, routine medical care, the loss of normal resources, toilet paper is but one example of that. Many things actually became quite scarce. Hand sanitizer, paper towels, food like eggs, milk and bread, even supplies that you can use to create things like bread. For example, flour and salt and other ingredients have become quite scarce because people are realizing that they can't just go out and buy what they normally can buy. Another one of the scenarios that we've had to deal with is the fear, the shock, and the loss of control causing, quote, normal people to behave abnormally. It seems as though common sense and logic go out the window and it becomes all about survival. And we've had to deal with people who have behaved quite abnormally. So what are some of the things that we have had to think about as we've gone through those scenarios? We have had to look at the fact that we've become quite reliant on other people and other resources to supply us with many of our daily needs. And that is prompting quite an interesting reaction in many people in that there are people starting gardens again. I have seen a revival of the Victory Garden, which I think is absolutely awesome. There are people who are saying, my goodness, I need to start raising chickens There are so many people doing that, that there's actually a shortage of chicks this year for people who normally do get chicks and raise them. There are people who are right now looking at their businesses and having to pivot. That's the word of the day now is pivoting because if you don't make a shift in the focus of your business right now and you're used to being able to do things in person you're going to end up with no business when this thing sort of passes. And so many people are transitioning their businesses away from in-person services to online services. And that's been a pretty cool shift because for many people, 
doing things online seemed like an impossibility or seemed like a poor choice. And what they're finding is that actually it's a great choice and it's a great way to reach more people. Unfortunately, the service providers were not prepared for all of that. And so there has been decreased performance in many of the platforms. For example, this one that I'm using right now today, which is Zoom. But it has really been a bit of an eye-opener, I think, for many people to realize how dependent we have become on other people to supply our needs. And how does that relate to self-defense? Well, there are many people who previously have looked to somebody else or something else to ensure their safety. And I think this whole situation has been quite a rude awakening. Dealing with being isolated at home has brought up a whole new set of fears for many women. And that's why I did that episode 32, where I talked about what you can do to actually make your home environment more secure. That's something that all of us should have been doing all along, but we felt complacent and we felt safe and we didn't do it. Right now, as I'm recording this, there are not just protests, but there are violent riots happening all across the nation. And I'm seeing many, many of my friends who live in major metropolitan areas who are genuinely scared for their lives right now because of what's going on in their neighborhoods. So we can no longer just sit back and assume that somebody else is going to keep us safe. It's been a great, unfortunate wake-up call that we are our own first responders, and it's really on us to take the steps that we need to to make our environment a harder environment for people who want to breach it and invade it to get through. And it's on us to develop the knowledge and the skills that we need so that if we do end up in a confrontation or a violent encounter with somebody who is bent on doing harm to us, that we are prepared and can do it. When it comes to dealing with people who are behaving abnormally, I find that the work of Rory Miller and the Violence Dynamics team is really helpful because it really has a lot to do with people belonging to tribes and identifying with a tribe and othering other people. And I highly suggest that if you have not explored Rory's world, you go out and you download an audiobook to listen to, or you pick up an actual physical copy of one of many of his books. I would start actually with Conflict Communication, which is a fabulous resource and talks a lot about understanding how the human brain works and how people actually deal with conflict and with people who are not the same as them. In addition to understanding how, quote, the monkey brain works and how we tend to look at our situation and identify those people who are part of our tribe and those people who are not and the behaviors that we will engage in so that we can stay safe as part of our own tribe and defend ourselves against the others, that is one of the most valuable parts of conflict communication to me. And it's something that I can see playing out day after day after day right now. Another really important part of that is understanding the role of scripts. And that really marries quite well with work that Coach Tony Blower does on understanding the mindset of the predator, as well as the work that Gavin DeBecker has done on understanding how predators 
behave and manipulate in order to get us into situations where they can get what they want. There are a lot of people who are engaging in bad behavior right now, and it really is helpful for us if we are not ignorant about the ways that they go about doing that so that we don't get manipulated into following along with their script and giving them what they want. So those are some resources that I would highly recommend that you investigate. So we need to look forward and think about what can we do going forward to improve our situation and to be less reactive as we continue down this path. And that has been one of the problems is, of course, because this this was sort of an ambush situation where this was very unexpected and we weren't really able to prepare for it, we've been in reaction mode the entire time. We've reached a point now that we're a couple months into the whole thing where we're no longer in reaction mode, but we still have a sea of unknowns and it's very disorienting and often frightening. So what are some of the things that we're not quite sure about right now? We don't know how deadly the virus is. We don't know really how you can get it or transmit it or how you can prevent getting infected. We don't even know if you can only get it once. We don't know how long we're going to be living in this pandemic mode with the restrictions and changes in behavior that we've been seeing. Many cities and states are handling the, quote, reopening in different ways. And so it's very hard to predict exactly what that is going to translate to in terms of our day-to-day lives. We don't really know how we're supposed to deal with the extended stress that's involved in this whole pandemic lockdown. There's been an increase in mental health issues, in suicides, in domestic violence incidents. And that is not surprising when our normal, quote, escapes and stress management activities and resources aren't available or aren't accessible. So my hope is that as things start to reopen and people are able to get back out of the house again and to engage in more, quote, normal activities, that some of those impacts will start to slide away and have less effect on us. But it's really another one of the unknowns. We don't know if things are ever going to, quote, get back to normal. In fact, it's probably not ever going to get back to what used to be normal. We don't know what the new normal is. And that makes it really difficult to understand how to adapt to it. One great example of that is the recommendations that recently came out about what the schools are going to have to do in order to reopen in the fall for the school year. I don't know about you, but when I read through those, I just looked at them and I thought, you know, if I had a school-age child right now, my response to these recommendations would be, hell no, I'm going to homeschool. I actually have homeschooled my kids, and I know that it is not easy, but it's also not impossible. There are a lot of resources available for families now to actually use online curriculums, and there are resources in many communities for social gatherings, and for supplemental classes that make homeschooling actually quite a feasible option. And I don't know what that is going to mean long-term for the state of the American educational system, but if I were a parent with school-age children, I would be seriously considering that because I would not want to accept what is supposed to be the new normal for life in school. So all of these unknowns can be really scary 
And that brings us to the question of how do you really navigate through fear? And I think this is going to be key in whether or not we as individuals can successfully get through the next phase of this because we've made it so far. We've persisted. We've dealt with all of the things that we've had to deal with so far. We're tired. We're a little worn out with dealing with the restrictions. And we don't exactly know what's coming, but we know that something's coming. And if we deny that things are not going to be the same as they used to be, that's not really going to help. So step number one for navigating through the fear of the unknown and of the future is just to accept what's happening. It really doesn't serve us to stay stuck in that state of this can't be real. Why is this happening? Whose fault is it that this is happening? What we need to do is just accept that, like it or not, it is happening. Step two is to realize that if what we're visualizing is very negative, and if we hold false beliefs about our situation, about what's possible, about the resources that are available, those negative visualizations and the erroneous beliefs will not help us get out of the fear loop. They will lead us into more negative self-talk, doubt, hesitation, and a fixation on feeling helpless and powerless. So this paradigm of accepting what's happening and getting out of the fear loop is something that you can learn more about if you go online and you search for Tony Blower's No Fear Seminar, which right now is 50% off during the whole COVID situation. Um, It's a great value and it's not a long course, but it is a very powerful course. And it's No Fear, K-N-O-W, Fear. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So understanding that all of that negativity and the doubt and the fixation on, I can't do anything, why is this happening, that kind of thing, knowing that that's happening leads us to step number two, which is that we have to stop feeling threatened and accept the challenge. We have to go from thinking, I can't do anything, to what can I do? What step can I take right now? So we need to come up with a plan to get us to our goal, which means we need to know what our goal is. And that could be any number of things. Back to the education example, the goal could be, okay, I want my daughter to be able to continue with her junior year in high school. So I am going to do some research on available resources and come up with a curriculum and a program that she can start doing. And I'm going to work with her to set a plan, create a plan so that she can actually start doing the work. And we will reevaluate as we go along and we will see what's going on with the public schools and see if she's going to be willing and ready to transition back to that. But if not, we'll know that we have a plan to get through the junior year curriculum so that she will be ready for senior year because a year from now, who knows what the state of the world is going to be. So we need to come up with a goal and we need to come up with a plan to get to the goal. And we need to take some action on it. You know, a really important thing here is that we don't have to know everything about what we're going to do. We just need to get started and to take action. And what happens when you do that? 
with one step is you change the scenario, you change what's going on, and you open up some new opportunities to act. That is true whether we're talking about a fight to keep ourselves from being raped, or we're talking about coming up with a plan to get a child through a year of school if the school system is not functional. So we need to come up with a plan, we need to start taking action, and we need to be constantly evaluating, are we still making progress towards our goal? Do we need to reassess and adapt because the scenario has changed a little bit? Are we getting thrown back into the fear loop with more negative self-talk and doubts about what we're doing? Do we need to make that choice again to stop feeling threatened and accept the new challenge? Because maybe, maybe we start with an online program that is recommended to us and we discover after a couple of weeks that it's just not working, that, for example, the platform is kind of a clunky platform or that the virtual instructor that we're working with is not very responsive. Well, does that mean we throw it out completely and we get stuck in this, oh my gosh, I'm never going to graduate kind of a mindset? Or do we go, okay, I'm going to get challenged now and say, now what can I do? to improve the situation and continue to make progress. So just be aware that as we're going through this process of navigating through fear, when it comes to any of the possible aspects of what the future holds as we move forward through this pandemic situation, we always can take a moment, take a breath, say, am I back into the fear loop right now? Am I feeling threatened? And how can I make the decision to be challenged instead. And then we can, you know, because we're super creative, adaptable people, we can always come up with another plan. This episode is brought to you by Damsel in Defense. Damsel in Defense creates products that allow you to enhance your safety through items that you either carry on your person or in one of your bags or purses, or the things that you can keep in your home or in your car. Damsel is also involved in fighting human trafficking by creating damsel houses. Currently, there are two, one in Cambodia and one in India, where girls are rescued from sex trafficking. They are given housing and shelter and help to form a plan to build new lives so they no longer have to sell their bodies. The goal for Damsel is to have a home in every country that their partner organization, which is called Destiny Rescue, is rescuing in. I became a damsel rep not because I really wanted to sell self-defense products, but because so many of my clients wanted to buy them. And I wanted to A, give them a good vehicle to buy products that I knew were good quality products that are workable, and B, because I wanted to be able to provide them with the training that they need to actually learn how to use these products and have a realistic understanding of when they can and cannot be helpful. So I became a Damsel in Defense Pro, and if you're interested in checking out their products, which cover a wide variety of things, everything from stun guns and pepper sprays to coubatons and other striking tools and tactical pens with flashlights and a whole lot more, you can access products from Damsel through my website by going to CynthiaJolicor.com resources. That's where I've highlighted a few of the products that I really appreciate and that I think are a great value. So check those out if you're interested. And if you want to look through the whole Damsel catalog, you can click through from my website to my Damsel Pro site where you can find all their other products, including 
books and other materials that you can use to work with your children to begin their journey of knowing how to keep themselves safe. Remember, you don't have to be a damsel in distress. You can protect yourself and you can get some help in doing that through Damsel in Defense. What other things can we do to weather this strange time? Well, I have a few thoughts on that, starting with the fact that if we allow ourselves to think that we have control (laughs) over what is going on, we are going to have a very rough ride. We need to stay focused on the things that we actually do have some control and influence over and stop obsessing about the things that we really don't have any control over. The things that we do have some control and influence over, we may run the risk of analysis paralysis when it comes to making choices and decisions about what to do because we believe that there's a right and a wrong choice. There's actually very few things in the world where there's an absolute right or wrong choice. And this is another area where I just love working with Coach Tony Blower because he introduced me to the concept of desirable and less desirable choices instead of right and wrong. And that, if you can hold that as your paradigm as you are navigating through this period of time where you're having to make some decisions and choices in an environment that is uncertain and where it is kind of uncharted new territory, you'll find that it is much less stressful because even a less desirable choice, you're going to learn something from. It's unlikely that it's going to be a life-ending or a life-threatening choice, and you can always learn from it. It's another reason why I don't worry too much about making mistakes. In fact, if I'm not making mistakes, then what I think I'm doing is really not making an effort and not taking any chances and not actually trying things. So I'm, if I'm not making mistakes, the odds are I'm actually probably not doing anything. And I'm missing a lot of opportunities because if I'm not active, then I am not either making mistakes and I'm not making any progress. So one thing that we can do as we go through this period of time is let go of the desire to control everything, to recognize the few things that we actually can control and influence, and then to let go of this belief that there is always a right or a wrong decision, a right or a wrong choice. Give ourselves the grace to say, you know what, I'm not 100% sure what's going on, but this is what I'm going to do. And here's where also the role of intuition is huge. When we are in a self-defense context and we're back looking at D1, which is the detect and avoid danger part, one of the big pieces of that is using your instincts and intuition, actually honoring the wisdom of our intuition that gives us a sense of, hmm, this might not be the right thing to do right now. There may be some danger here or "Mm, there's something quite off about this or wow, this doesn't feel quite right. I need to look at it again. So as we're navigating through this very chaotic period of time where many of the things that have been a normal part of our life are no longer there and where there's a whole bunch of stuff happening that is weird and abnormal, Really tuning into our intuition is going to play a huge role in our ability to get through it. So I would really encourage you 
to make a habit of listening when you get an odd feeling about something, whether that's a situation or a person or a decision that you need to make, take a moment, take a breath, and just pause and ask yourself, okay, what's going on right now? Why am I feeling uncomfortable with this? And if you can just take some quiet moments right there and let your intuition speak to you and listen to it, you will be able to navigate a lot better. One of the things that many people are afraid of is a second wave of the virus coming through in the fall. So what can we do about that? Well, we can either be locked in fear and go round and round and say, oh my gosh, you know, it's going to be worse than the first time because historically that's what happens with pandemics. You know, I didn't get it this time. I was lucky, but what if it gets me next time? I mean, we can come up with all kinds of crazy stuff to just keep ourselves stressed out and anxious and in a fear state. So how about taking a little bit different approach to it and saying, okay, there may very well be a second wave to this virus. What have we learned going through the first iteration? And just looking at the things that we have done and the changes that we have made in order to adapt to the situation over the last three months. Because I'll be willing to bet that every single one of us has made all kinds of changes, both small and large. One thing for me is because I realized that paper towels were very scarce, I went and bought, I don't know, I think it's probably about 50 to 70 nice soft microfiber cloths. They were not expensive. They're something that I can use to clean my counters and wipe things down. And I can wash them and reuse them anytime I want. So I cut my paper towel usage down hugely. That's a tiny little thing, but it's something that I won't have to worry about if there's another wave and I am thinking about, okay, I have to make sure that I'm wiping down surfaces. I need to make sure that I am sanitizing everything. Another thing might be, gosh, there was such a run on hand sanitizer and stores were sold out and it was really hard to get some. Well, there are a lot of companies that actually can provide ingredients so that you can make your own and you can actually make it even better without a lot of the nasty chemicals that some of the commercial ones contain. I've seen two or three different recipes for natural hand sanitizer that do use a high percentage alcohol in them, but also use essential oils and have other things in them that are not harmful to the human body, but that are effective at killing germs and viruses. So perhaps instead of waiting for a second wave to arrive and then going, oh shoot, I don't have any hand sanitizer, maybe I want to actually create some of my own and get the supplies that I need to do that over the next month or two when I actually have the time to prepare. This might sound kind of funny, but I was thinking about the second wave and one of the things I thought was, well, Gosh, it would suck if I didn't have eggs. I love to eat eggs. I use them in a lot of things. I went through dozens and dozens and dozens feeding my dog when she had puppies, which she had on March 18th. So my experience of this whole lockdown has been dominated by dealing with a litter of 12 German Shepherd puppies. And I was fortunate to find neighbors on next door who had chickens 
who were producing way more eggs than they could ever use. So I was able to get eggs from my neighbors. But I don't want to be dependent on that in the future. And I want to be self-sufficient. So I actually ordered a chicken coop and run. And my husband actually built it last weekend. And now all I need to do is find chickens. I'm darn sure I'm not going to find any chicks to raise. And I don't really want to do that because I don't have an incubator and I don't know that whole process. But I'm pretty sure I'll be able to find four to six chickens that I can put in my lovely coop and run. And so if we end up in another situation with shortages in the fall because there's a second wave, then at least I know I will have a source of eggs. That's just an example of some of the things that we can do because we've been through this before. So if we have a second wave in the fall, there are many lessons that we can take from what we've already experienced. So how does this all relate back to self-defense? And I've drawn some parallels as I've been talking, but I just want to call out a few other things. The foundation of self-defense is believing that you are worth defending and believing that you have value and worth on the planet. So one of the things that I do with my clients is we start with understanding why it's important that we're here, why we're worth defending, and what would happen if we were no longer here. So coming up with a very clear understanding of that, with what our personal reason to survive a situation is, was a very powerful exercise, and it translates directly into this pandemic situation. So why would we want to take steps to change some of our habits, to create some new resources? We want to do that because we believe that it makes a difference that we survive this. Sometimes women have a hard time coming up with a personal reason for themselves, but if they're asked about, well, what difference would it make to your family, to your children, to your spouse, to your parents, if you were no longer here? That's much easier for them to come up with. So if you have a hard time thinking about what difference does it make that you survive this whole situation, I would encourage you to think about what would happen to your loved ones if you did not. What impact would it have on them to lose you? Another piece of the self-defense paradigm and mindset that is very applicable to this is to know what it could cost you if you're not prepared and you don't know what to do. Tony Blauer refers to this, and he has a great article called The Economics of Violence. And it directly relates to this. Like what could it cost you if we have another wave of this pandemic, or if something else comes out of the blue and blindsides us and we're not prepared, what could it cost you if you're not prepared for it? I think a lot of people had quite a rude awakening about not being prepared when this first hit. That was why we saw all the hoarding and the shortages. So lesson learned there. What do you need to do to prepare your home environment? What do you need to do to prepare your food supply? What do you need to do to prepare financially so that if you don't have income for a period of time, you still have some sort of buffer and resources that you can use in order to move forward and not lose your home and not lose your lifestyle? 
So think about what it could cost you if you're not prepared. Another piece is that many people get super panicky because as human beings, we have super active imaginations. And when we get into a fear loop, we are really, really good at catastrophizing and just coming up with all kinds of things that could happen. And honestly, I am no stranger to this. I have done it myself. I have members of my family who are expert catastrophizers. And what I have learned is that there is some sort of juice that comes from catastrophizing. It feels kind of good to just go down that hole and think about all the worst case things that could happen. However, at some point, it is just an absolute waste of time. In fact, it's a drain of energy and it's a drain of attention and a drain of resources to just spin on all the things that might possibly happen to us. And again, referring back to something that I have learned by working with Tony Blauer, there are many things that are possible. That doesn't mean that they are probable. So if we waste time on focusing on all the things that might possibly happen, we may not actually spend time where we need to, which is on focusing the things that are probably going to happen. So we want to focus on what is most likely to occur. And in that space, that is where we want to come up with some plans. We want to come up with what we call mental blueprints for how we can deal with those most probable scenarios. Now, again, when we went into this in the first phase, we had no fucking clue. We did not know what the most probable scenarios were. We did not know what was most likely to happen. And we were all sort of in a state of fear of the myriad and many things that could possibly happen. But we've gotten through that stage. And so now we're thinking about moving forward. So whether we're looking at how we would handle a second wave of the epidemic, or we're looking at what we can do trying to get back into work and getting a paid job, or whether we're looking at what we can do as an entrepreneur to change our business so that we actually can support ourselves in a totally different way. It doesn't really matter. What we want to focus on is what are the probable scenarios that we're going to encounter and how can we prepare for that? So we need to come up with some mental blueprints and those are just ideas, options of how we might play things out what we might do in the most likely scenarios. Now, we don't have to try to be fortune tellers and predict absolutely everything, but we do want to really apply our brain power and our imaginations to coming up with as many possible options and solutions as we can to things that we're likely to have to deal with. And that means that in the future, if we do encounter something that's similar to that situation, we're not going to spend so much time sort of spinning around going, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Because we'll already have a bit of a plan in place. It's a way of creating some software in our brains that will allow us to get into action quicker. Another concept that is very important to the world of self-defense that applies directly to this whole situation with the pandemic and even to the situation with all of the rioting and things going on right now, is the idea of intimidation. And again, I'm going back to Tony Blauer because he just has so many incredible gems of wisdom. 
he talks about intimidation as being that time where you are focused more on what the other person or the situation is going to do to you than you are focusing on what you can do to them or to it. And so if in this strange time, we are really focused on what is happening to us and we are not focusing on what we can actually do, we're going to be living in a perpetual state of feeling intimidated. And that is what leads to us feeling powerless. And the antidote to that really is a bit of a sense of indignation of, hell no, I'm not going to let this ruin my life. I'm not going to let this take me over. I am not going to let this push me off of my path. I am not going to let this make me compromise my principles and the values that I hold dear. Hell no, I am not going to let that happen. I am going to stand for myself. I am going to stand in my power and I'm going to take every action that I can to help myself and to help the people that I love and to help my community. So tapping into that sense of indignation and really taking a stand is the antidote to feeling intimidated and threatened. So I want to close the show with that thought and encourage everybody to, again, take a moment, take a breath, take a timeout or a pause, and think about the things that you have done that have allowed you to get to this point where you are right now. There's no right way to survive a situation, which is another one of our self-defense principles. There's no right way to survive. The fact that we are here now means that we have. It may have been messy. It may have been painful, but that doesn't matter. We've made it. There are some things that maybe happened that we didn't really initiate that wasn't coming from our own personal agency to help us. That's something in the self-defense world, especially working with Tony Blower, where we refer to the duress path, where we don't actually come up with the plan ourselves, but somehow we make it through. And that's okay. We make it through. But we want to know going forward that we actually can tap into our own personal power, our own agency, and take action on our own behalf. So thinking about the lessons learned, the things that we did well, the things that we didn't do so well. Remember, desirable and less desirable, not right and wrong. And using that insight to think about, okay, what situations am I probably going to have to deal with going forward? And look at a couple different horizons. Look at the next month and look at the next three to six months. Think about those things. Learn from your experiences so far, positive and negative. Learn from the mistakes that you've made. Learn from the choices that you've made. Don't be harsh and critical and judgmental of yourself and find fault with yourself. Give yourself the grace to say, hey, you know, it may have been messy. It may have been a bumpy path, but I'm here now. And I'm not going to feel threatened by what might happen in the future. I'm going to feel challenged to come up with a positive way forward. And I'm going to feel challenged to come up with some plans and some actions that I can take to actually improve my position so that I am going to be even more powerful and more prepared for whatever is coming next, because we don't know what that is. But I hope that everybody has learned that life is very uncertain and things can come at us 
that we have no way to anticipate. And although we may scramble through, we are resilient, we are strong, and we have a lot of power and creativity and courage. And we can tap into that and we can learn with it and we can prepare ourselves to do better for the next bizarre thing that comes down the path. So I want to leave you with that thought and to encourage you to do your own look back, your own assessment, and to come up with some blueprints for possible scenarios that you think you may encounter in your own life in the coming months. And I would encourage you also to reach out to friends and family and share this with them because everybody's been struggling and we all need to lift each other up. This is the Born to Be a Badass podcast. Stay safe and be a badass. You've been listening to the Born to Be a Badass podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and be sure to share it with your friends. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and a review. Tune in regularly for more exciting insights and wisdom on women, violence, and safety. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.